The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Thank you again for joining me as we talk about actively walking in faith. Actively walking in faith. And by that I simply mean cultivating a life where we are continually in God's presence. We never leave his presence. He's always with us. But oftentimes, many of us live without the consciousness that we are walking with God. And it's a lifelong uh, opportunity and, and growth. So don't become too frustrated if you think, oh, I'm failing at this. It's not about that. It's about growing in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you know, this podcast is devoted to helping Christians from all denominations foster what I call a genuine, life-changing walk with God. That is, simply living with the daily consciousness that I am holding the hand of God through every life circumstance. So our conversation today centers around Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 24, and uh, we are also uh, uh, the same uh, circumstance is is provided in the uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. I, I happen to uh, have a preference for Mark eleven because it seems to be a lot more direct in terms of what the salient points are. And if you recall uh, this incident of what's considered Jesus cursing a fig tree uh, occurred just after the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, nonetheless, after this entry, uh, he went out to Bethany because apparently he, he had been staying in Bethany. And uh, this, this fig tree cursing event occurred on his way back to the temple very early in the morning the following day. Uh, and so on his way to the temple, he was obviously hungry. And we are told that he observed a fig tree at a distance and he anticipated that he might find something on it. But having come up to it, he found nothing but leaves. And we are told it wasn't the time of figs. Now, this makes the circumstance even more curious in that it wasn't the season when figs would have been bearing, fig trees, that is. And undoubtedly, he would know that the season for figs uh, was not present so <laughs> the absence of figs really isn't a moral issue necessitating rebuke, is it? And yet, he rebuked this tree. So it begs the question, why would the Lord behave this way and say things that he knew fully 
Well, it wasn't the time for figs. And then add to this, it's a fruit tree. It's, it's incapable of volition. It, it can't do it can't perform right or wrong actions. Now, we know this. You know, every common thinking person you know, with average intelligence can figure that out. And uh, his disciples obviously heard him pronounce judgment on the tree, saying, let no one eat fruit of you anymore forever. And obviously, they paid no attention to this uh, because it was, in fact, a, a somewhat of an arbitrary statement, which is just like you make a statement in passing. And, uh, and so it, it, it was a response that seemed out of sync, out of joint. Uh, if you were to compare it to when they struggled to cast out the demon after he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, well, that rebuke made sense because the man who had the demon-possessed child said, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. So obviously that would evoke a, a reaction. But this is just a tree, a simple tree. I think, personally, that there's a very simple explanation for this. And it has to do a little with the ways of God. For example, if we were to go back to Exodus chapter 15, uh, the 22nd to about the 27th verse. The answer is sort of embedded there. So when Israel was delivered out of bondage from Egypt and the Egyptians were routed at the Red Sea, the children of Israel sang a song to Jehovah for deliverance. And then it soon followed that as they went through the wilderness three days, they found no water. Now in their distress, they murmured, they complained against Moses with the complaint, what are we going to drink? And so this resulted in Moses crying to Jehovah on their behalf, and eventually water was provided by Jehovah showing him uh, some wood with, which he would cast into the waters, and the waters became sweet. But here is the lesson about God's ways especially when the, the, the uh, event seems to be an arbitrary, disconnected event. And by that I mean it's not connected to anything, like, like the demon-possessed child and the father crying out on his behalf and the disciples being, in, if you will, they were inept in their uh, discipleship training because they couldn't cast out this demon. And so that's not an arbitrary circumstance. That made sense. Demon-possessed child, disciples were expected to do what the Lord Jesus taught them and demonstrated before them, and they were uh, unable to do so, and then that evoked rebuke, and then he explained to them why they failed. And so this, this event in Exodus prompted Jehovah through Moses to say this, If you will diligently hear and obey the voice of Jehovah your God and do what is right in his eyes and incline your ears to his commandments and keep all his statutes, he says, this is important, I will put none of these complaints upon you that I've put on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah who heals you. So the lesson, the life lesson for them was to learn that their sustenance, their health, their uh, provision 
was going to be made by Jehovah their God, and he allowed what appeared to be you know, a very natural event of going through the desert. You're not going to find water. But he allowed them to not find water. The trial or the circumstance or the arbitrary event was allowed of God as an opportunity for the children of Israel, and get this, to look to Jehovah for healing, for provision, for help in everything that they would need in this wilderness journey. It became and I wanted you I want you to emphasize this in your thinking. It became a lesson in trust in God and distrust in self. So to the Lord Jesus judging a uh, a tree made it an important object lesson in the exercise and walk of faith. The majority of them that failed several days before at the Mount of Transfiguration, when they couldn't cast out a demon, this is now a critical opportunity for the Lord Jesus to teach them what will be essential for them going forward. Now, I understand, you know, many will refer to um, Bible commentaries and commentators and Many allegorized this event, suggesting it was an indictment against the nation of Israel for their unbelief and so forth. But if we were to examine the incident on its face, within the context, this cursing or cursed tree that withered by the next day caught Peter's attention. And he said, Rabbi, see, the fig tree which, uh, which you cursed is dried up. It caught his attention. And so the Lord Jesus immediately responds with the lesson that he would have them learn about the limitlessness, and this is important for this life lesson that he was going to teach them and us. about He was teaching them about the limitlessness and power of a praying man, a praying woman, as associated, as related to the power of God. And I want to make this clarification. In the circumstance, as told in, in Matthew chapter 17 with the, the, the failure to cast out the demon, he was teaching his followers in response to a failure. But sometimes the best way to learn is not by failing. From God's perspective, the best way to learn is by the correct application of faith in obedience, correctly exercised with the heart fully turned towards God. And you would see this in the Old Testament where there were, there were examples of great deliverances. Because it was a life and death issue, many of these deliverances didn't leave room for error. For example, a, uh, uh, take Peter walking on the water. In that instant, he saw the Lord Jesus and he put forth the challenge that as he said, if it is you, bid me come. And the response of the Lord Jesus was immediate, come. Similarly, for David as he faced Goliath, which we will address later in this podcast, this young man waxed valiant in faith, trusting God, and was successful in his first attempt to slay Goliath. 
And so God's perfect will in walking with him, in, 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 for us and David and Peter and all those in between, God's perfect will in walking with him is that the heart, our confidence, our trust is turned to him fully, childlike, trusting, expecting that he will perform just what he promised to do. So when we look at Mark uh, chapter 11, this, this incident of cursing the fig tree, let's, let's extract what is important for us in our relationship and walking with God. The Lord Jesus identifies it right at the outset. Have faith in God. That's verse 23. This is the starting point of walking with God. You've heard me say repeatedly throughout these podcasts, a heart fixed on him, a heart that is desirous of knowing him, a heart that seeks to commune with him, a heart that wants to walk with him, not as an incident or uh, in response to some life crisis, but as a lifetime exercise. In the first instance, they failed the first step of having faith in God. And it necessitated a rebuke for the unbelief that filled their hearts. How it should be at the outset is what the Lord Jesus is providing us right here. Have faith in God. The mind, the spirit, the intentions are turned towards the living God and not mixed with any other expectation that but that he should fulfill his promise. This, my friends... This is the starting point of every successful spiritual endeavor. Also, this is the starting point of a life lived in sincerity and truth with heart, faith, fixed in God. Then, the Lord Jesus makes the end result the starting point of this teaching. He's looking at the end result. What's the end result? Well, the very thing that you and I consider to be an obstacle, it stands powerless against the man or woman whose knees are bended in the presence of God, who makes this their life uh, practice, if you will. Look at what he says. If you shall say to this mountain... now. When you read the entire narrative, you'll see that he, he starts out with what's important, what is, the, what is germane to spiritual success, whether in the living or in the praying. But then he jumps to the end result and works his way back. So he goes from the, the first point to the third point, most in, you know, third most important need, to the second to the first. Okay? And he says, if you say to this mountain, now this, this is a this is boldness. This is what I call step three, okay? This is boldness. How is it that a man is exhorted to turn his face to an obstacle, a challenge, and speak to it and challenge it outright? So I ask you, is Jesus speaking in hyperbole? Or is this a statement of fact and command? Is it hyperbole that a teenage boy is... Uh, is emboldened to speak to, uh, in the face of a man who's perhaps about nine feet tall, a seasoned warrior? 
and say to him, This very day I will feed your bodies to the fowls of the air. I will slay you. And I ask you, this confidence, this boldness, which seems to escape so many of us, let's be honest here, okay? I want you to be honest with yourself and be honest with me. But many of us shrink in the face of obstacles we consider to be impossible to overcome. And Jesus' words become what I call just devotional statements, not commands of the master himself, just these are devotional statements. And the very obstacles that we face in our life betrays the very condition of our hearts, that I have no faith in God. And that's what our hearts tell us, and many of us are discouraged right at this point. But in this simple teaching, the Lord Jesus gives us what is key to growing in our faith and walking with God with the utmost confidence that when we bend the knee and ask not only according to his will, but with the assurance that he hears us, we know we're going to have the petitions that we ask of him. So tell me, my friends. As you look back at your life from today and before, can you recall circumstance, any circumstance in your life when you, with boldness, stood before an obstacle and laughed <laughs> because you knew you overcame already because of the time that you have spent in God's presence and your confidence rested so in what God has promised that he would do that you waxed bold. Uh, Peter said this to the Christians scattered throughout Asia in, in his second letter, first chapter, third and fourth verse. He says, but, you know, to us are given great and precious promises that we might be partakers of God's divine nature. The Lord Jesus says that that man whose confidence is fixed in God, speaks to the mountain. I say, he said, speaks to the mountain and commands it to be taken out of the way and cast into the sea. And I ask you this, and you have to answer for yourself, has this ever once been your experience? And then the Lord Jesus goes on to step two. So remember, have faith in God. That's the gating item. Let's go to step three. Say to the mountain, be plucked up. What's the second step? Well, he shall not doubt in his heart. Now, no one can see that, but can't they? The second great step upon which the statement, have faith in God, rests. And these are like two links in a chain that has three links, the three-link chain. And this is the driving sentiment of the heart spurring a person to speak boldly in the face of, of spiritual challenge. A man doubts in his heart, sad to say, because his walk with God is anemic. It is a walk in which time with God has devolved to a devotional exercise. That's it a rote action, a mere checklist, which a person checks off. Well, I've had my devotions today, and I've had my breakfast today, and I brushed my teeth today, and I did my chores today, and I went to work today. It is not the central uh, uh, exercise of the heart and spiritual life. 
it has devolved to a, a devotional exercise. That's it. That's it. Let's look at David's example. Let's take a close look at what, what these two steps look like. Speaking to the, the obstacle and having no doubt in one's heart. Let's look at what it looks like. Okay? Before we look at the final and most important item to which these two are connected. So let's consider uh, David uh, uh, in his uh, encounter with, with Goliath. So David versus Goliath. Okay, and this this contrast has been used in a myriad of, of, of scenarios. Uh, sometimes in commerce, where you have small companies uh, survive, uh, you know, they, they survived being taken over by larger companies within that that industry. Uh, we see it in athletics, where the inexperienced athletes you know, are now challenging the seasoned competitors. You know, it's always a novel contrast of the underdog versus the champion, and so. We begin to see David's thinking, his speech, his conduct, and how clearly it illustrates perfectly exactly what the Lord was teaching his disciples. And what is that? A fixed faith in God. You can see it. You can hear it. You can speak it. You can speak like it. A challenge to an obstacle, a mountain. You can see that. You can see what the obstacle is. You can hear the person in their boldness. They can speak it out. The way they talk tells you about them, what's going on inside their hearts. Number three, the, the heart's firm conviction. That's testimony-based. You know, back in the day, we folks used to give testimonies in their churches. Okay? But it was really given to encourage others to keep believing. You don't hear it too much now because I fear to say, a lot of people don't even have a testimony of their walk with God. But... The fourth and foundation of it all is prayer. And that's not seen. That's the secret life, the life exercise of the believer. You don't talk much about it, but I guarantee you this. You'll know if a man, a woman, boy, or girl is a praying person. So let's, let's look at it carefully. In 1 Samuel 17, chapter 26, verses 26 to about uh, verses 58, gives us the entire narrative. And the scene opens with David, uh, who was essentially running an errand for his father to provide victuals, if you will, for his brothers who were soldiers in, Saul, in, in uh, King Saul's army. And at the time that he arrived, Goliath was right at that point, railing against Israel and cursing Jehovah. And David heard these words, and evidently he saw that the men were fearful. They were fearful. And so he opens with the question, what should be done to the man that, that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So we're hearing in his words that he's moved by this challenge. He's moved by it. And his words were rehearsed before Saul, and, and David was subsequently ushered into Saul's presence. And here is where the teachings of our Lord Jesus take shape in the life of David. And the narrative begins with respect to these principles. The obstacle was clearly identified. Verse 26. And by the way, let me just say, there were at least seven or eight times, more than seven times, that David articulated this challenge to this quote-unquote mountain. Verse 26, this is the first instance that David says, What shall be done to the man that smites, get this, this Philistine? This Philistine is 
this mountain. Verse 32, David says to Saul, let no man heart, uh, man's heart fail because of him, that is uh, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. <laughs> this is the mountain <laughs> that David is looking at. He says this Philistine is very specific here. Okay, verse 36, your servant. Now he's giving uh, a little backdrop into his life. Events that have happened in the past that has stirred his heart to keep trusting Jehovah. And he says, your servant smote uh, both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, there it is again, the mountain, shall be as one of them because he defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, Jehovah who delivered me out of the, the, the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Okay, four times in one conversation, he identifies exactly what the obstacle is. Now, let's look at his, 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 uh, his personal stand. Oh, I love this. Verse 45, he's now facing the enemy, the obstacle. He says, you come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of Jehovah of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's now talking to the obstacle, which in this case is a human being. Verse 46, this day will Jehovah deliver you up into my hands. I'm going to conquer you. Okay? Now, he's not just speaking arbitrary words. You can tell when you read the narrative, this teenager, probably between 15 and 17 years old, is moved. Because his heart is looking to Jehovah and trusting him. He's had prior experience of deliverances. He's confident that God will show up for him because he's looking single-heartedly to God. He goes on to speak not only of Goliath, but the entire armies of the Philistines. He says, I will give, in verse 46, the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines this day to the fowl of the heavens, to the wild beasts of the earth. And here it is. Here's his witness. Oh, I love this. Verses 46 and 47. And all the earth shall know that Israel has a God. And all this congregation shall know that Jehovah saves, not with sword or spear. For the battle is Jehovah's, and he will give you into our hands. More than seven times, David made clear assertions as to his faith in God. You could see from his assertions that he is trusting in nothing else but Jehovah. And the subsequent victory that will be realized, he stated outright. Why? Because his confidence was in Jehovah and Jehovah's ability to deliver without sword or spear. And so he single-handedly routed a seasoned soldier with a sling and one stone. My friends, so too this mountain, this obstacle that the Lord Jesus identified to his disciples, he used an arbitrary fig tree to teach a vital lesson for every disciple, every devotee, every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every obstacle is powerless because the disciple, the follower, the devotee has their faith firmly fixed in God. 
and like David towards Goliath can say to the obstacle, be plucked up and it is powerless to resist. This mountain, this obstacle, can be anything that comes into the life of a believer which interferes with their relationship with God or seems to cause fear or uncertainty. The champion Goliath of the Philistine army, well, he lost this battle. But if he had won, then the Israelites would be subject to the domination of the Philistines. And with many of us, we have personal needs for employment, for healing, intervention for a wayward child, a wayward spouse, a challenge at work, differences within the church gathering, anything that interferes with our walk with God that looms larger than life and at times that seem to be larger than God. These, my friend, are the obstacles. But here is what faith in God looks like when it is lived out. There is a confidence, a boldness, a clear expression of one's testimony and confidence in what God can and will do. And additionally, there is great assurance in one's heart because of prior victories, prior experiences with God that become the foundation of faith in God. Add to that, there's a clear awareness that the people around you are fearful. They will say words like, well, you know, we can, we can pray in the will of God and, and, you know, maybe the Lord. No, my friends. We insult the teachings of the Master himself. David said, let not the hearts of the men fail them. I will fight Goliath. He stood alone in his faith. And the prior victories and experiences with the lion and the bear become simply foundations, stepping stones, building blocks for greater challenges to faith. And dare we not shrink away. And lastly, he could say to the obstacle, I will defeat you. This is what he said to Goliath. This is what the Lord Jesus is also saying to the disciples. If you say to this inanimate thing, this mountain, be taken away and cast into the sea, what he says is, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says takes place, whatever he shall say shall come to pass for him. But many of us can't say that. Why? The answer is we doubt in our hearts. So, let's, let's summarize our thoughts. Firstly, this fig tree is but an object lesson. It has nothing to do with the amount of faith that a person has per se, but that they must have unmitigated, unmixed, straightforward, single-hearted confidence in God and God alone. That is the lone gating item. Secondly, most important, is the need for the believer to be exercised before God in prayer. This is vital for the power and assurance and victory in the life of a Christian. There is no other way. A moment, time spent knowing our God, offering up our petitions, reminding him of his promises, strengthening our faith. And add to that, the very foundation of this praying is that it is executed 
in the full confidence that we will receive an answer. The Lord Jesus says that we must believe that we receive it and it shall come to pass to you. And that believing is done in the presence of God. It is done in prayer. It is done in fellowship, communion with God. This point cannot be stressed enough. If we have gone into the holy presence of God and reserved doubt that we might not be answered, there's a great likelihood, a great assurance that we shall not be answered in the affirmative. And so the Lord Jesus says, all things whatsoever you ask. All things. All things means all things. It's not limited to any circumstance, subject, issue, problem, challenge. All things. No limits. Any matter brought before God must be presented in the full assurance of faith based on the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. All things means just that. All things. All subjects. All needs. All open doors needed. All of it. Even healing. Financial needs. What is the need that you have, my friend? What is your need? Secondly, Jesus says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Another way of phrasing it is, whatever you pray for and ask. What you are begging God, you are craving for. That you require the Lord Jesus' intervention. This is what you're bringing to the living God. It's a very general statement about the nature and scope of prayer. It covers everything. And if we deign to come into the presence of God regarding any matter, then the only requirement is this next point. Believe that you receive it and it shall come to pass for you. Believe that you receive it and it shall come to pass for you. I want you to read that narrative again because the Lord Jesus states, Whosoever shall say to this mountain, and therefore whoever is coming before God and whatever they're asking of God, they are required to not leave his presence unless convinced in their hearts that they have been heard and that the request has been granted. And until that confidence, that assurance is realized in our prayer lives, we ought not to cease praying until we are assured we have been heard. And I want to say this. Many of us pray, sadly. We pray as a matter of obligation. Obligation. John, in his, uh, his letter written to the churches, and I think it's 1 John, might have been chapter 5, around the 14th or 15th verse, and he says, And we know if he hears us, okay? He says, And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. Hear me, my friends. Listen to what John is saying. This is the disciple that leaned on Jesus' breast, on his chest. He was right. He knew the Lord Jesus' heartbeat. He says, if we know that he hears us. So do you know when you are praying that you are being heard? Are you praying to be 
heard. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, that's a blank check. <laughs> whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. Do you see it, my friends? We pray as a matter of obligation. To these men of faith, prayer was their life. They, they valued that connection with God, that relationship, that walk, that open door. That, that moment when I bend my knee, I am in the presence of the, the, the holiest majesty of heaven and earth. We have the petitions we desired of him. But this is nothing new. The seer said this to King Asa. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, when he says, The eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of the ones whose hearts are perfect towards him. God is searching for that opportunity to show himself mighty in your life and through your life, my friends. God is searching for that moment, that person whose heart and expectation is fixed towards him and him alone. And this statement, have faith in God, as our Lord Jesus says, is no different than the word given to King Asa concerning Jehovah when he says, the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth. Because he wants to show himself strong in the behalf of the one whose heart, here it is, whose heart is fixed, single, towards him. It's the same uh, thought conveyed when our Lord Jesus says, have faith in God. A fixed heart, a single heart, single-hearted looking to God. And God is mindful, desirous of showing himself strong to the one who is bending their knees or hearts. Sometimes you're not someplace where you can bend the knee, but you can bend the heart in his presence and let him know, I'm looking to you, I'm looking to you and you alone. Oh, my friends, when we purpose to come in the presence of God beside still waters, it is that sacred time when we present our hearts present ourselves, as it were, open, transparent before God. And there we wait upon him. We wait for him and we wait on him to do what only he alone can do as we bring our petitions before him. Take time, my dear friend, to season yourself in God's presence until that confidence, that assurance grows, that as John says, if you know that he hears you, then whatever you ask, you know that you have the petitions that you desired of him. Oh, Father, help us today to lean, to trust, to look to you with singleness of heart, that as we wait upon you to bring to pass in our lives what is needful, we can with boldness say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Help us this day to walk with you for your glory, in Jesus' name. 
Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.